0: Lord, we thank you for your word, and we, uh, we pray now that as we're transitioning from worshiping you in song, that we would worship you by the honor we give to it, and that you'd be blessed by the attention that we give. We pray that you would speak to us, help us to have hearts that are receptive to your will, and we just ask all these things in your name. Amen. So we're in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is, uh, we call it 2 Corinthians, it's actually not the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. It's probably the fourth. It's either the third or the fourth. What we call first and second Corinthians are either first and third or second and fourth Corinthians, depending on how you want to map it out. But basically, we're in a letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And the context of where this letter is coming from is really important, especially tonight. We're picking up chapter 4 verse 1 is going to say, therefore. And so we're in the middle of a thought. If we don't understand where this thought is coming from, we're going to be lost. So 1 Corinthians is a very strong corrective letter. Paul is writing to a church that is out of control, a church that is carnally minded. People are coming to church with the purpose of I want to make sure everyone understands how awesome I am. I'm self-focused. I I really have no vision for building up the church. I don't care about other people's needs. I just want to go and get my needs met and make sure that everyone appreciates my abilities. And along the way, there's all kinds of abuses of Power and sin that are happening, and so Paul writes first corinthians to uh, to rebuke them very strongly and Second Corinthians is written about a year after that and what 's happened during that time is the Corinthian church has actually received what paul said, and paul he 's written another letter that 's even we 'll see in, in tonight uh, even harsher than first corinthians, um, but they 're receiving it they 're starting to grow they 're starting to mature. Uh, Titus has now been the pastor for a little while, and he comes to Paul while Paul's at Ephesus, and he says, hey, the church is, is starting to get it. The church is starting to grow, and, and that's such a great, it's got to be such an encouragement to Paul, right? This church has been struggling on so many fronts. Hey, they're starting to mature, and, Tim, and Titus says, but they've got just a couple questions, and these aren't theological questions about, hey, how do we do this thing in church? They're questions about your character and your integrity, Paul, because False teachers are coming in um, saying they're from the church in Jerusalem. We're not positive whether or not they actually were, but a lot of what they say is contradictory to what the church in Jerusalem was teaching. So even if they are from the church, they're not accurately representing the church in Jerusalem. But they're coming from the church in Jerusalem saying, hey, we're sent out, we're certified apostles. We actually have papers that prove that we're certified. Did Paul ever show you his papers? No, I didn't think so. He probably isn't actually certified. By the way, if you want to be a really spiritual Christian, you need to obey all of the Old Testament law. Did Paul tell you to do that? No, I didn't think so. By the way, don't you think it's a little fishy that Paul is asking you to help donate money to the church in Jerusalem? Oh boy, I bet that guy's got something up his sleeve and he doesn't even take a salary from the church. There's something funny going on here with Paul, I'll tell you what. And the Corinthian church says, instead of saying, no, 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 Paul is like, Paul is a sinful human being, but Paul is the man who brought the gospel to us. Paul helped bring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Instead of saying that, which is what you would hope they would say, they say, you know, there's something to that, isn't there? He doesn't take a salary from us. There has got to be something funny going on. And so, 2 Corinthians is Paul's unwilling defense of himself. And and with that, it's a defense of his apostleship, all right? It's Paul saying, look, here's how and why I was called, here's the credentials that God has given me, which are the effective working of the Holy Spirit in my life, but it's also his commentary on ministry. And so 2 Corinthians, in that sense, is a really powerful book if you're a person who wants to be in full-time ministry, which is what we all are, right? Every single person in this room is in full-time ministry. We are all part of the calling and the kingdom of Christ. And so we are all ministers. And so Paul's commentary on what does it look like to serve the Lord? What does it look like to be in ministry, to be in service to the Lord? This book has an immense application for us. So, Chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, now to back up just a little bit, in chapter three, he's carrying this idea of, well, what certifies him as an apostle? And he says, well, it's not letters of approval, it's not a seminary degree, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's making the point that uh, in the end of chapter three, that the ministry of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is greater than the Old Testament law. Not that the Old Testament law was bad, but the Old Testament law could only show us how sinful we are. The ministry of the Holy Spirit can give us the power to walk in the righteousness of Christ. One always forces us to look back at our own sinfulness. One compels us to always look forward to Christ's righteousness. And so Paul, at the end of chapter 3, is saying, of course I'm not going to bring myself back under the Old Testament law. I'm looking forward to Christ, not backward to my own sin. So chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord ourselves your, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So in the context of Paul's defense, right, remember what Paul's defending here. He's defending the ministry of the Spirit and he's going to articulate for us a little bit what that is. What is it? He said, we're not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth. That's what Paul's ministry is. Paul's ministry has nothing to do with what Paul is into or what Paul prefers or even what Paul would like to be true. Paul is interested in manifesting the truth and what's part of that truth. And and I know we're kind of jumping here. That's why it's important that we're all in the word collectively because for the sake of moving through all of the epistles in one year as a church on Wednesday nights, We're moving kind of fast. But what is the manifestation of the truth? In verse 5, he says, It's Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bond slaves or your bond servants for Jesus' sake. What is truth? Christ is the Lord and I am not. In fact, Christ is the Lord and I am so far below that that I am a servant. I am a slave by choice to the Lordship of Christ. Paul says, Our ministry, this ministry of the Spirit... What is it? It's not, hey, you need to come under the law. It's not, hey, you need to have a certificate that that shows that you're approved. It's, hey, you need to manifest the truth, which is that Christ is Lord. And you're not. So he's really, Paul's point, really, throughout 2 Corinthians is that, basically, this is simple, right? When Paul came to the church at Corinth, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians, he says, look, I determined, I was going to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come to Corinth to impress you with how smart I was, although Paul was very smart. I didn't come to Corinth to let you know how brilliantly the the philosophical side of Christianity outshines all other world philosophies, although it does. I came to Corinth to let you know that Jesus Christ lived and died and that he's the righteous son of God. And so what are we preaching now? We're preaching Christ the Lord and ourselves the bond slaves. That's the ministry that we have. That's the ministry of the Spirit. The glory, you know, he references in chapter 3, the glory that's shining in Moses' face when he comes down from the mountain. We have a greater glory than that in our hearts today. That's what we're shining forth. That's what we are. That's what ministry is. It's the glory of Christ manifesting the truth, right? Declaring, proclaiming, living the truth. Verse 7, he says, But... We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Paul says, okay, look, chapter 4, first section. Look, our ministry is the ministry of the Spirit. It's all the glory. It's all the wonder. It's all that. The power of God. In verse 70 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And Paul here is, is acknowledging the paradox that we live with, which is we have the incredible ministry of the glory of the Holy Spirit, right? We have the salvation of Jesus Christ. We have the assurance that our souls are going to live forever, but not our physical bodies right but we have this treasure this treasure this glory it's tied up in earthen vessels it's tied up in clay pots right and what's his his point is we're living with this balance and we're going to kind of go through this really through chapter 5 6 and 7 there's a paradox here that we've got all the glory but it's still it's temporary it's not the fullness of glory they were coming into and part of the reason Paul is going to emphasize this is because people would accuse Paul. Paul was not necessarily an impressive man physically. Um, he says, you know, people talk about, and I think it's Galatians, you know, people would accuse him of like, well, he's, he's kind of a weak speaker actually. Right? He's a better writer than a speaker. Um, he, he's not, you know, there's ideas through the scripture that he probably had really bad eyesight. Uh, and you think about it. I mean, a man who's been beaten with rocks until he's either presumed dead or actually dead, probably has some nerve damage, right? Paul's probably a little bit disfigured. He's not winning fashion awards, but he's got the glory of Christ in an earthen vessel. And so he's living with this tension of, hey, there's something amazing coming and happening, and there's something fading. There still is something lacking here. Not that God is lacking, but that I'm still in a body corrupted by sin. So he's living with that, That's why he says we're hard-pressed, but hey, we're not crushed, right? Our earthen vessel, oh man, it's pressed, but it's not crushed because we got the glory of Christ. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but hey, we're not destroyed, right? And this is what what our lives should look like. We're going to live through hard times in life. There is persecution. The Bible says if you desire to live a godly life, you're going to suffer persecution. Hard times are going to come and your earthen vessel is going to bear physical marks of that in some form or another even if it's just the stress that you can go through that can actually impact your physical well-being that earthen vessel is going to start breaking down but it's not going to be crushed because there's the glory of christ The, the full you right the full context of your body soul and spirit who you are yeah you might be pressed but you won't be crushed you might be struck down but you won't be destroyed if the ministry of the Spirit is inside you, right? If you have that calling and the glory of Christ is in you, whatever happens does not finish you off, right? It may end your earthen vessel. It may may end your pilgrimage, but it does not end your journey because the glory of Christ is shining in you because therefore we have this ministry, Paul says. And notice also, he says, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He says it twice. He says it in verse 10, then verse 11. He says that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul says, I don't care what happens to my body. If you want to hit me in the head with a rock because I believe in Jesus Christ, that's fine. As long as the life of Jesus is manifested in our mortal flesh. And he says in verse 14, we know that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with jesus we've got a hope of resurrection and so yes we live with this paradox that part of us is fading away it's breaking down it's dying another part of us is growing it's getting stronger it's actually becoming more alive we don't even know what it's like currently to be truly alive because so much of what we are is tied up in a body that is dying So part of us is dying. Part of us is just now being born. And so that's the paradox we live in. He says, but you know what the the focus is? The ministry of the Spirit is what? The manifestation of the truth. It's that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. In verse 16, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, it's breaking down, guys. There's more mileage on the engine every day. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul says, look, guys, we've got this light affliction right now that's for a moment. Now, this is not got to be careful um and you guys know that i'm not careful very often this is not paul uh the man who never had a hard time right talking about light afflictions this isn't oh my gosh i had a hangnail and a loose eyelash on the same day this isn't really quite where paul's coming from paul's going to tell us in the end of this book i've been beaten you know i've had the i've been hit with 39 stripes i think it's three times i've spent a night and a day floating in the ocean now i'm not scared of water truthfully i'm really not even scared of the ocean but i don't really like the thought of spending 36 hours floating on top waiting for something to just kind of bump up against my leg right i mean just you know just not like nibble just bump right just you know maybe i don't like that thought paul's gonna talk about you know he was stoned until he was either dead or presumed dead i think he probably was dead and the lord raised him back to life because lord wasn't done with him yet Paul says, look, we're going through all these things, and you know what it is? It's light affliction. Paul's got a perspective that, frankly, most of us don't have. He says, we're looking for the things which are eternal. Right? That's what's going to define, that Paul's commentary on ministry is, our focus is not on right now. Our focus is on what is going to bear fruit for eternity. What is coming to life. Don't worry. It's okay. To have a vision to help other people in their physical context here on earth. It's absolutely okay. It's okay to have a vision. You know, if you want to, if you're burdened by the poverty that's in the world, it's okay to want to provide clean water to communities. Right? That's not a bad desire. It's okay to want to provide basic sanitation so that women don't all die in childbirth. It's not okay to do that and say, yeah, we'll get around to the eternal things. Once we've, you know, no, no, no. What, ne- what is needed? Those things are good. Those things are great. But don't give people earthly water and not give them living water, right? Don't teach them how to clean up their bodies and never inform them that there's a God who can clean their souls. And that needs to be our awareness. We are not worried about the hardship in life as the sum total. We're, We're concerned with things eternal. And that is, again, put this all in context. This is Paul writing as people are attacking his character, as they're making false accusations, as he's having to say, okay, Let me explain what ministry really is. Here's what ministry really is. Here's what serving the Lord really is, is we are looking at eternity. He goes on, chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He says, look, if we lay this body aside, we're putting on a better one, right? This is the tent. There's a palace coming. I have no idea what it looks like when we transfer from a tent to a palace, but it's going to be epic he says, we have this hope. We're focused on things eternal. And notice also, he says, now he who prepared us for this thing is God who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. The word guarantee there is the same root word as like engagement ring. All right? What's the purpose of an engagement ring? To let the girl know that the guy is serious and that he's coming for her. Right? And that she's spoken for So... When a girl has an engagement ring, you know, she takes the rock and she's rolling it back and forth, right? And the reason men don't have rocks is because we, as soon as you get a ring, you know, what do you do? You take it off and see how long you can spin it, right? But the girls have the rock and they're, you know, rocking it back and forth and they're thinking about their man and they're all happy and they're planning the wedding. But it's just a ring, right? You're not married to the ring. You're going to get married to the man, right? And... So what is the Holy Spirit as we experience him right now? He's the engagement ring. The promise, and think about this. We've been covering this the last few weeks. The the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of God at work in our lives right now is incredible. It's just the ring. We have this hope. God has given us this as the promise, as the assurance of, hey, this is is it. This is real. I'm coming back in real form. And it's going to be the real demonstration right now you have you know c.s lewis called this earth the Shadowlands. we're in the shadows right what happens when you step out of the shadows into the real thing that's what we're hoping for that's what paul is holding on to as the ministry of the spirit so verse six we are always confident you know when a girl's got an engagement ring she's she's confident that the man is coming back for her if for no other reason than that he spent a couple thousand dollars, right? He's got some, he's got some skin in the game at this point. So we're confident, how much more so if it's, if it's the Lord giving us the spirit of God, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad knowing therefore the terror of the lord we persuade men but we are well known to god and i also trust are well known to your consciences he says look while we're here we're not with the lord fully and we believe that even though we don't see the lord fully we accept the engagement ring as a valid promise from god And yes, we're well pleased to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. You know, if you had to trade it, if you had to choose would you rather have the engagement ring or the husband? Which would you rather have? The husband, right? Paul says, Look, we're happy to be, you know, we're happy down here. We understand that the Lord's coming, but we're also going to be pleased to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We're going to lay aside, you know, we have this ministry of the Spirit but we have it in earthen vessels. We're going to be pleased to lay aside these earthen vessels. And therefore we make it our aim, verse 9, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That's our goal. That's ministry, right? What, what qualifies you for ministry is Paul's defending his character, defending his ministry, defending his right to be an apostle, to plant churches, to spread the gospel. What qualifies him? His goal is to be well-pleasing to God. If that's your goal, you will be an effective minister of the gospel. If it is, I just want to please the Lord, everything else will fall into place. If that is in line, everything else follows. verse 12, Paul's going to go on. He says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. There are people who are going to boast in their appearance and not in their heart, Paul's saying. And yet, who these false teachers are. They're boasting in their qualifications. They're not coming to church and saying, hey, we're qualified because we care for your eternal well-being. They're saying we're qualified because we're qualified. And Paul says, um, that's really dumb. Therefore, verse 16, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us... The ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We'll get back to that in a second. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Notice verse 16, Paul says, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul says, I refuse to see your merit based on your earthen vessel. I am choosing to look at, do you have the ministry of the spirit of Christ? And Paul's saying that to a church that is hurting him by their distrust of him. They are hurting him by attacking his integrity and his character. He's saying, you know what, guys? I refuse to see you in the flesh. I am choosing to see you as God sees you." And he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul says, I understand and recognize that by Christ, by the sacrifice that Christ made, by the resurrection of Christ, you are not what you were. You are something different. And so I am choosing to recognize you as that, as something different. and." This always takes me back, I say always, not always, I like when this takes me back, to Romans chapter 8, verse 30. 30. He says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's a verse about God's sovereignty, and God's ability to bring us through faithfully to the end of our lives. But notice what it says. It says he's also glorified. Those whom He's called. That's a past tense verb. Just right now, and it's a little bit, you know, kind of messes with your brain a little bit because we're not smart enough to really grasp it. But God sees you glorified. God sees you finished, because He's outside space and time. So He still sees the things in your life that need fixing, and He's going to help you get through them. But He also sees you right now as you will be. He sees you complete in His presence. And so, Paul's saying, look, I am choosing to recognize the fact that God sees you complete. God sees you glorified. Therefore, I am willing, basically, to not see you according to the flesh. I'm going to see you as Christ sees you. I'm not worried about your earthen vessels. And and, and so, therefore, it's part of our aim, being well-pleasing to the Lord, is I want to see people as the Lord sees them. He says, now... All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself, to Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is ministry? It's the process of explaining to people, you are separate from God, you do not have to be separate from God. Right? You can be reconciled. It's a big word, but you can be reconciled. You can be brought back in, not because of anything you've done, but what's he say in verse 21? For he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ knew no sin. He, and it's a weird, it's, it's so, it's such a holy moment in the history of the world that it's, it's almost dangerous to sort of try and understand it. But somehow Jesus Christ became sin and absorbed sin And not to say that he sinned, but he became sin. And it's it's a weird idea. But because he became sin, he received our sin. Therefore, we receive his righteousness. That's our ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 6. He says, we then, as workers together with him, because again, this is Paul's commentary on ministry. So we are workers together with Christ also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul says, okay, part of ministry. You've received the grace of Christ. He became sin who knew no sin. You have the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, don't waste God's grace. So he goes on to verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So we're not trying to abuse God's grace here because we don't want the ministry to suffer. We don't want, our reputa- we don't want the reputation of Christ to be negatively impacted by what we do. Verse 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulation, in need, "...in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by the sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live... As chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. That is the summary of what ministry is going to look like in your life. Paul says, don't waste the grace of God. All these things are ours in Jesus Christ. And you can read that paragraph and think, you know, I'd be okay if some of those things like, actually weren't mine. Right, Like, I'm okay, actually, Lord, if you want to just give me your grace and then I can sort of skip the tribulations and the needs and the labors and the fastings, right? But the grace of God, we talked about this when we were in Romans. Grace of God is not the freedom to sin. It's the power to not have to sin. It's the power to walk through life. And Paul talks about, you know, again, in chapter 4, verse 10, the goal is that, the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. And we have this treasure, but it's an earthen vessels. And if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. So we're going to receive the grace of God, and it's going to empower us to walk through these things. This is ministry. All right? You need to understand, if you want to serve the Lord, if you want to walk with the Lord, you're going to live out this list to some extent or another. There will be all those hard things. But there's also going to be other things, like by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness. Right? And, and it's, again, it's the same paradox that we had at the beginning. You're going to have these earthen vessels that are going to hurt and they're going to break and they're going to suffer. And you're going to have this ministry of the Spirit and it's going to be coming to life. It's going to be growing. It's going to be, you know, swelling up and filling out until it's absorbing every part of who you are. Right? That's what ministry is. This is what the grace of God looks like in our lives. And you can say, well, that's, you know, grace is supposed to be like fun. Right? Like grace is God forgave me so that when I sin, there's like even more grace. You know what? Grace is Jesus Christ dying of suffocation for your sins. Grace is not fun. Grace is a gift that costs. Grace is a painful, painful, costly gift. It's not an opportunity to squander. And so, yeah, life is going to be hard. This world hurts, right? But, praise God, the grace of God is sufficient. That's why Paul opens all his letters. Grace and peace. If you receive the grace of God, then you're going to have the peace of God in all of these situations. And if you're going through any situations and you say, I am not having very much peace right now, then go back to, do you understand grace? Are you walking in grace? Do you understand the gift that is yours? Do you understand what it means when it says, he became sin who knew no sin? That you can receive the righteousness of Christ. Do you understand that God sees you glorified? That God has taken away your sins that you're holy in his sight now not as an excuse to do whatever you want but as an excuse to not have to walk in sin so Paul's just he's outlining again and he's just hitting this he's going to hit this for the entire book of 2nd Corinthians what is ministry? it's reconciling people to the Lord it's walking in the spirit it's doing the will of God being well pleasing to God it's also his so it's his, his defense of apostleship is hey if the spirit of God is working then that's awesome his commentary on ministry is when the Spirit of God is working, life is usually really hard to go along with it. And that's the reality that we, that we live with. Verse 11, he goes on, he says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as children, you also be open. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. A lot of people quote this verse. It's, doesn't, the fact that it's quoted often doesn't lessen its importance. Okay, We're talking about the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of reconciliation, the call of grace, the gift of God, all these things. Paul says, don't take what you understand about these things and then tie yourself together with someone who doesn't understand. It doesn't matter how nice the person is, how compelling, how attractive, how wealthy. Don't, don't yoke yourself. Don't tie yourself together. And so there's an obvious implication here in the idea of marriage. Right? Uh, if you are a Christian, you can't possibly marry a person who's not a Christian and expect them to understand what you're talking about when you're going to go through tumults and labors and sleeplessness and fasting, right? And say, well, it's because I'm walking by the Spirit. Your spouse isn't going to get it. If you try and yoke yourself together with that, you're setting yourself up for just a perpetual struggle. But there's also other implications, right? If you're going to be you know contractually bound to somebody whether that's in a business arrangement or whatever else you need to at least be aware where is this person coming at it from and, and what Paul says as he's quoting here uh, in from I believe it's Second Samuel he says come out from among them and be separate says the Lord he doesn't say be isolated alright being a Christian is not a call to have our own little commune with our barbed wire fences and our ARs no no we're called to go out in the world right? But we're supposed to be separate. We should not look like the world. People should find you odd. It doesn't mean you should willfully be odd, right? Uh, Keith Green once said, you know, the Bible says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. It doesn't say, blessed are you when you are obnoxious for my sake. So it's not an excuse to just, you know, be a jerk in the name of, well, it's different. I'm different because I'm a Christian. No, no, no. Be separate. You should be marked." by a life that is focused on different things. You should be prioritizing different things. You should be chasing different things with your life than with the lives of the people around you. Right? Because why? You have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And yeah, you got an earthen vessel, and I mean you got to take care of it. You need a shelter over it. Okay? So there's some basic things that have to happen, but it's it's dying. Right? You spend all your time worrying about that earthen vessel, you're going to miss the the ministry of reconciliation. So he says Part of that is because you're the temple of the living God, right? If you've accepted Christ, you are a temple. God's presence is dwelling in you. You don't defile a temple. When something's holy, you don't make it profane. You join yourself. Uh, you join yourself in a union with an unbeliever. You're bringing the defilement of their sins into that temple, and that is unholy, and it just it won't be blessed by the Lord. But Lastly, in chapter, not lastly, lastly for this chunk before we go to the next chunk. In chapter, verse 1 of chapter 7, he says, Therefore having these promises, what promises? God says, I will receive you, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We have this ministry. We have this call from God. We have the grace of God. And it's hard sometimes. But God has received us. He is now a father to us, and we are his sons and his daughters. And therefore, having these promises, these are not hopes, these are not wishes, these are promises, promises that God has verified by giving us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, like an engagement ring. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Walking in grace, walking in ministry, walking in the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives should cause us to desire more holiness. And holiness is not, sometimes we equate holiness, if we're honest, we equate holiness with boring, right? Truly holy people are, if we all want to be honest, usually not that spicy. Um, But holiness is, That's really not the accurate way to think of it because holiness is you coming into the place that you were created to fulfill, right? Holiness is gonna have more joy and more fulfillment and honestly more pleasure than any other situation in life because at that point, you are closest to what God created you to be, right? It's like when the right key fits in the right lock. There's no more grinding of the gears, right? When when, when the right key is in the right lock, what happens? Doors open up. When we walk in holiness, it's the same idea, right? We're stepping into what we were created. And all of a sudden, all those tumblers and all those gears, they can just jam up and, and just, you know, make our lives feel like there's so much work and hassle and stress and all this other stuff. Everything lines up. And doors open. So let's perfect holiness in the fear of God. Last chunk for tonight. We're just going to read all the way through. It's kind of one idea. End of the rest of chapter 7. He says, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. Paul's referencing here when Titus comes to him in Ephesus and says, hey, the church is growing, but they've got these questions about you. He says, we were comforted by the coming of Titus when we heard that you guys were growing in as a church, as spiritual believers. Verse 8, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, although I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorrow sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not, only, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong. Nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong. But that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. If you read it fast, it can sound like a confusing paragraph. But he's saying what he's saying here is a reality that anybody who's ever had to rebuke another christian has walked through like oh man i really don't want to say this but i feel like i have to say it but gosh dang it what if it cost me the friendship i don't know if you're gonna if you're are you mature enough to receive this uh okay i better pray about this um okay i'm thinking maybe we should like can we go off in private room somewhere quietly so i can talk about this paul's saying this right i had to rebuke you guys i didn't want to rebuke you guys i'm glad it made you sorry but i'm sorry that it made you sorry Right, he, he's, he's processing these emotions of, I love you guys. I don't want to hurt you guys, but I do want to see you grow. So I was willing to take the risk of, really of our friendship, of our ability to do ministry together, to let you know what you needed to know, that you needed to grow up as Christians. And he says, yeah, it was a harsh letter. But it worked, so I'm not sorry. Um, and he says, what diligence it produced in you? Verse 13, Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. So Paul, you know, wrapping up this chapter, we're going to, Dive into the next chunks over the next couple weeks. He says, you know, Titus came. He told us you guys are growing. That's awesome. I'm excited to hear about it. But notice what he says at the end. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. In everything? The Corinthian church just sent Titus to Paul and said, do you really think Paul's actually an apostle? Do you really think Paul's on the level Do you think Paul's a man of his word? Do you think Paul has integrity? Do you think Paul's doing something fishy with the money? And Paul writes a letter back to this church. He says, I have confidence in you guys in everything. What's he doing? He's not lying to them. This isn't wishful thinking. What's he doing? He's living out what he already declared. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.16, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. You know, what, guys, I have confidence in you that Jesus Christ is doing a work. I have confidence in you. Like in chapter 5, verse 17, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are made new. So, Paul says, I've got confidence. This is not confidence based on their maturity. This isn't confidence based on their friendliness or even their niceness. This is confidence based on what? The ministry... Of the Holy Spirit. This is confidence based on is God capable of keeping His promises? And that's, you know, so we're kind of looking at what does it look like to serve the Lord, to do ministry, your hope cannot ever be in other people. It can't be in pastors who you respect, although there should be pastors who you respect. It can't be in Bible teachers you like, although there should be Bible teachers you like. It can't be in anything other than is God sufficient? Is Christ, if Christ is all I have, is Christ all I need? and paul addressing this church that is actively hurting him by their accusations says you know i've got confidence in you guys christ is doing something and i think for us sometimes that's good to remember because there are people who frankly bother us sometimes right there are people we know who like man you say you're christian why don't you act like it hey you know why don't you why do you grow so slowly why why is this wrong what in your life? Why haven't you fixed this problem yet? Why can't you just, why don't you get it, right? And Paul's writing to a church that frankly doesn't get it on a lot of fronts. And he says, you know what? The Lord's working. and I think for us, that's good to remember because we need to, you know, if our ministry is in the Holy Spirit and it's the ministry of reconciliation, Paul's writing this, you know, there's that time to rebuke someone. Paul wrote, first corinthians it's a long rebuke there's that time absolutely there's also a time sometimes to kind of step back and say you know what the lord is working the lord's doing something and it's possible to to say okay you know what is this person in christ and if they are then the lord is doing something and don't underestimate that because the lord sometimes moves slower than we like but he moves very well right the lord's not, he moves like water sometimes right Water, I mean, you can't really, like, it just doesn't do much. It's soft, right? When you start watching what water does over time, water's about the most powerful thing on earth. It just cuts mountains in half, right? And the Lord can do that. Sometimes it's slower than we like, but the Lord can do that. But for us, as we're walking through life, we've got the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's in an earthen vessel, but it's the ministry of the Spirit. right? right? We're perishing but we're coming to life. We're going to see no one according to the flesh because all things have been made new. There we go. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We pray that it would go deep into our hearts, that it would not just uh, be something that we read and say, yeah, that was great, and then move on, but that it would be something that transforms us from the inside out. We want to, uh, to recognize and stand in the glory of the ministry that you've placed us in. God, we are all ministers here. We want to minister well. The ministry of reconciliation, God, we want to be people who help others understand that they can be reconciled to Christ. We thank you that you have made us new creations, that we are not what we were, and we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, teach us, grow us, disciple us, rebuke us. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for the amazing gift that you've given us of eternal life, And we just ask that that you would work, God. Do your work in your way. Use us as you see fit for the glory of your kingdom. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray. Amen.